0: Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. I do count it an honor and a privilege every opportunity I have to minister to you, to speak to you. Um, You know, I'm just, uh, I'm a normal person like you. And, you know, a lot of times when we see titles in front of people's names, uh, we tend to have this, we can put people on a pedestal, you know. And I think the most important thing we can do is realize that we're all human beings. Now, sure, I have a calling. I feel called to this. If I didn't, I wouldn't be here. (laughs) Uh, Pastoring is not the easiest thing to do, and I don't say that a lot, but it's not. But I just love seeing people come to a place where they connect with God. They begin to see that they have worth and they have value that matters more than anything else to me because we live in a world that really doesn't value human beings we're a commodity we're we're something that can just consume and once you don't consume anymore you're worthless to the society right but that's not how the kingdom works the kingdom says that you're valuable you have purpose and you have a calling. And that's what I see even through Scripture, especially when I look at the life of Jesus. How many know that Jesus should be the lens in which we look at all Scripture and all life through? We look at the life of Jesus. Amen? And so I just want to get started this morning. Last week, we talked about this idea of seeing our connection to God. I don't know if you were here or not, but Jesus talks in John 15, and he tells us a parable about the vine and the branches. How many are familiar with this? And it's just this beautiful, seamless union. We, we talked about everything from, you know, what somebody who uh, was a farmer in the day would do with a grapevine, how we even can uh, visualize the grapevine and how even where the branch and, and, and the vine um, begin and start, it's hard to tell. And Jesus said this very important word. He said that I am the vine and you are the branches, In other words, your fruit bearing comes from both me and the vine dresser, the farmer, Heavenly Father. And so as we look through that, we began to see, or hopefully we were beginning to see, this seamless connection that in essence bears fruit in our lives. How many know that Heavenly Father is not in the business of cutting anyone out? He wants to help us bear fruit, the most fruit we can bear. But I want to look at another parable this morning that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. Because I believe this that once we see our connection to God, we begin this journey of understanding our relationship with God. How many of those are difference between seeing something and understanding something? I I can look up in the sky, and I can see an airplane flying. I don't understand how that works, but I'm glad that pilots do, and that mechanics who work on planes do. Right. Because how many know that if you're flying somewhere, you want to get there and you want to land safely? I mean, it still is confound. I still, when I go on a flight, I'll look out and I'll think, how heavy is this plane? Now I get, I know aerodynamics, all you scientists out there. But for me, I'm thinking, this is a heavy aircraft with a bunch of people and it's staying in the air. How about this? You ever thought about how those freighters can float? You're like, well, it's okay, don't explain it to me. What I'm saying is those freighters, those huge freighters are floating on the water. I would think it would sink. So seeing something and understanding something are two different things. And so today I want to look at this parable in Luke chapter 15. I entitled it Understanding Our Connection, kind of springboarding from last week. But listen to this question, son or servant? Say that with me, son or servant? Or servant. As we look at this, I think it's going to help us past just seeing this connection to a place where we begin to understand that we are joined with God and we are a part of the family. And so let's turn to Luke 15. We got a lot to read here today uh, in this story. I love this story. This is probably one of my favorite parables. It really is. There's so many little things that you can take from here. And so I don't want to I don't want to keep you more than two hours today. So What I want to do is there's something very specific I want to get to, but but the story is beautiful. Let's start in verse 11. Jesus is telling this story, by the way. He says, there was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. Now, other versions say that he asked for his inheritance. How many know what inheritance is? When do you receive an inheritance usually? Someone dies. So, again, we got to get into Jewish thinking. Uh, You know, the the head of a home, the patriarch, was like the man you respected. This boy, this young son, was literally saying, drop dead, Dad, because I want my money now. I want my inheritance now. I want my portion now. But look what happens. The father doesn't argue. Verse 12, so the father divided the property between them. Who's them? He had two sons. He had to divide the property. Look at this. It wasn't long before the younger son, say younger son, packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. Everything, his entire inheritance. After he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through that country, and he began to hurt. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to do what? to slop the pigs. He was so hungry, look at this, he was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would give him any. So I want you to understand, there's this this young man, this son, this young son, who gets his entire inheritance early, his father hasn't passed yet, takes it to this distant land, spends everything partying, okay, he ends up famine hits the land, he ends up where? In a pig pen, which, by the way, just just so we know, how many know that the Jews didn't eat pig? So obviously he was in a Gentile land. So he left his own tribe. He left his own people, squandered everything. He ends up slopping animals that he Actually, they would detest. It was unclean. It was something you wouldn't even touch, right? And here he was, and he was starving to the point that he would eat anything in the pig slop. you got to be pretty hungry for that. Like, I can fast for a long time before I go rummaging through pig slop. How about you? But look at this. It was in this situation that Jesus says that brought him to his senses. I love other versions say he came to himself. He started to go, hmm, wait a minute. What am I doing in a situation when this isn't who I am? He came to himself. Look at this. He said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. Here's the plan. I'm going back to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. What did he do? He got right up and went home to his father. Now, the reception of the father here is absolutely beautiful. When the father, listen to this, when the son here, when he was still a long way off, what happens? His father saw him. Now, get this. Look at the reaction of the father. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, this is the son that basically said, drop dead, Dad. Took his inheritance the father didn't know where he was. I don't know how long he was gone. But imagine, the fact that the father saw him away off tells me something. The father hadn't given up on his son. The father must have been out every day, scanning the horizon. Is my son? Is he on his way back? Is he back yet? He wanted his son back. But look at this response from the son. Because the father is kissing him. In fact, in the Greek, that word means to kiss over and over and over. It's a very loving uh, uh, form here. But look at this. It says, the son started his speech. And I love how Eugene Peterson puts it here because I've always thought, man, it kind of seems rehearsed to me. Like uh, maybe he's repentant, but I'm thinking he's more hungry and he's thinking, what do I say to get what I need? That's just how I take it. Look at this. Here's a speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. Remember, that the speech was all that, then adding on, if I can just be one of your hired servants. The father cuts him off. Why? He was busy. What was the father doing? He was calling to the servants. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. Look at this. My son is here. Given up for dead and now alive. Given up for lost and now found. And they begin to what? Have a wonderful time. Well, how could you not? It's a party. There's food. There's wine. There's dancing. They're having a great time. Great story, huh? Anyone? Does anyone like that story? You're going, why did he celebrate his son? We'll get to that. But you know, the story doesn't stop there. Because there was another son. Look at this verse 25. All this time, his older son was out in the field. Where was he? In the field. When the day's work was done, he came in. So you got to understand the story. The son showed up, we don't know, maybe mid-morning, we don't know. And they just start partying and the older son's out working. He finishes his day, in fact. But look at this. As he approached the house, he heard the music and dancing. Calling over one of the houseboys, he asked, what's going on? Here's what he told him. Your brother came home. Your father has ordered a feast, barbecued beef. Why? Because he has him home safe and sound. And the older brother said, that is amazing. I'm joining the party right now. Okay, you guys know. What's he say? The older brother stalked off in an angry sulk and refused to join in. Look at this. His father came out. And tried to talk to him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this story, I'm just thinking of this son, this older son. It says that his father tried to talk to him. I mean, when Jesus told parables, he would tell them on purpose, where usually the hero was someone you didn't expect, and usually what was going on was something you didn't expect. In this time, to disrespect your father, I mean, It could mean everything up to stoning you to death in the center of town. I mean, this was no joke. So even though I'm reading this and go, wait, wait, this guy, the father couldn't even talk to him? I mean, in this time, the father could have said, listen, and the son would listen immediately. He knew what would happen if he didn't. I just think that's awesome. So he said that he wouldn't listen to him. The son said, look how many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief. But have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then this son of yours, couldn't even say his name. Then this son of yours has thrown away your money on whores, shows up, The Eugene Peterson just puts a point blank here, and you go all out with the feast. He wastes money on wine and women, everything. He comes home and you give him a feast. Yet here I am, I'm working, enslaving I want you to pay attention to what's happening here. The process, his thought, a servant mentality, and you've never thrown a party for me or my friends. Look what the father says in 31. Son, this is huge. Son, you don't understand. This is why I said today there's a difference between seeing that you're part of a family or a son and understanding that you're part of the family and you're a son, and that includes you ladies, your your daughters, right? We're all family. But look at this. He says, you're with me all the time. This gets me every time. You're with me all the time, and everything that is mine is yours. Son, you don't understand. The things that you're asking for have been here the whole time. Everything I have is yours. Everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time, and we had to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. These are powerful words from the Father here. And it really opens up. There's so many things in here we can look at. But the thing that I really want us to see is I want us to see the attitude of the two sons, because there's two sons here. Um, in some translations, it says the parable of the lost son. I'd like to make that plural, the lost sons, because they both were lost in a way. But in Greek, the, the original language that was translated into English here, the, the word used for sons, there's actually two words. Now, when you hear son in English, you're like, yeah, I mean, how could you make another word? But in the Greek, there's more than one word for the word Son. And Jesus here uses two different words for each son. He uses the, used the word weos and technon. Say weos. Say technon. What is technon? What is weos? And I'd like to take that further. And as we look into this a little deeper today, think about are we a technon or are we a weos? Which one do you want to become? would be even a better question. Now, here's the definition. This is we, us. We, is a child who's been marked as someone's son or daughter because of the similarity between the parents and the child. Get this. It is a similarity of facial features, character, and attitude. This is why I love the original language. That's pretty deep. So when Jesus was referring to one of these sons, he was saying one of these sons is reflecting the character and the attitude and even the facial features. Isn't that wild? Of this parent. How many times have, have you seen a, a child running around you like, yep, that's his mom. Yep, that's her dad. You, you can just tell there's something in them, even the facial features you can tell. And then usually... Usually the reason that kids get in trouble is because they're not acting like they should act, which is, no, Barancics don't do that. The Smiths don't do that. The Heist don't do that, right? These are the different things that we say. Why? Because your attitude, your character should reflect the family you're from. And Jesus is saying one of these sons is a weas. He's reflecting the character and attitude of his father. But a technon... This refers to a newborn baby, not yet mature. We could say a little baby. (laughs) Not mature yet, not perfected in that. Although in English language the word is translated children or sons, it has different meanings in the original language. Now, the Apostle Paul, this is really cool. Here's a couple examples. In Romans 8.16, he says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, that we are God's children. This is the word technon. If we are his children, or technon, we also we are also God's heirs. But look at this in Romans 8, 14. He says, certainly all who are guided by God's spirit are God's we, us, children. Now think about this. Nowhere here is Paul saying that we're not children. But he's saying the spirit himself testifies with our spirit, telling us constantly, a constant reminder, you are a child. Even if you're a baby, even if you're immature, it doesn't matter. You are part of the family. If we are his technon, even little children, we're also God's heirs. You know, I love this verse. It doesn't matter where you are on your journey. We're God's children. No one's favored over any other. But then he says, certainly, and I love this word, certainly, all who are what? Guided by God's Spirit. See, it's one thing for the Spirit to testify to your spirit, and you begin to see that you're a son, a daughter, a child. It's another when you're guided by God's Spirit. What's he say? A us. It means you're mature. You're beginning to reflect the character of God. You're beginning to reflect the attitude of God and of kingdoms. This makes sense. And so I say that because there is a difference in how we see ourselves or even how we understand ourselves. But here's the thing. In my own life, you know, having four children, six grandkids, you know, you see them as as they're younger, and, and, and I never, ever, I never felt like this pressure or never let them feel any pressure like, you better grow up and you better grow up now. I've said this before, but... You know, when my little kids, I mean, do you remember the first time that your child rolled over? And we, I don't know about you, we were like, yeah, it was like the Super Bowl. Someone just won the Super Bowl. Like, it was the greatest thing ever. You know, they rolled over. Big deal. No, no, my son rolled over. They never rolled over. And then remember the first time they got up and they crawled a little bit? or The first time they walked like one and a half steps to you? Did we go? One and a half? Come on, dude, you should do ten by now. no. We celebrated those moments. Why? It was wonderful. Why? They're growing. They're on a journey. It's amazing. Why would God be any different with us? I mean, if God is referred to by Jesus as a father, and he's a good, good, a great, great, an awesome, awesome father, why would he not be the same way and celebrate even the small steps we take? But see, what Jesus is trying to show us here, what Paul is confirming here, is that there is a difference between seeing that you're part of the family and understanding what that really means. Do you follow me so far? So I want us to think about the different attitudes of each son. The prodigal son, the younger son, what did he do? Well, we know that he took his inheritance early, he spent it all, he ended up, basically almost starving to death, he came back home. But think about this. He humbled himself, and he showed maturity by owning his bad decisions and repenting. Whether it was wholehearted or not, something within him, this is what I love, when it says he came to himself. Something within him said, okay, wait a minute. This isn't how I'm supposed to live. This isn't the family that I'm from. What am I doing trying to get corn cobs out of pig slop. My father's servants are living better than this. And he comes to himself. He humbles himself. He shows maturity. But think about the older son. He had a proud attitude. He was actually angry with his father for even considering forgiving and receiving the son back. This is wild. Let alone throwing him a welcome home party. I mean, Dad, I could kind of get you saying, well... I might forgive you, but you're going to work it off or you're going to pay me back or something. But but you didn't do that. But on top of that, you throw a party and you won't even throw a party for me. What I see is I see a humble son and I see a proud son. But here's the thing. The story isn't much different than how we are today. There's been many times in my walk where you know, you see someone blessed and you're thinking, well, and you want to be excited for him because deep down, you know, you're supposed to. So at least put a smile on your face. But someone gets blessed and you're like, man, that guy barely even goes to church. I hear him at work. His mouth is just come on. I go to service. I work in departments. I sit on the front row of the pew. It sounds like the older brother to me. But in this story, and this is what Jesus does with parables, it's always meant to, to knock us off kilter, to, to change paradigm, right? To get us to shift the way that we think. He's pointing to two sons, one who humbles himself and one who's proud and, and won't even listen to his father, won't even participate. This gets me too in the story. Again, going back to the patriarch of the family, he could have just demanded that his son come into the party, Right? He could have said, You get your butt into the party now. There's no questions asked. You will put a smile on your face. Huh, sounds like some you'll put a smile on your face and you'll act like you like this and you'll be Right? He could have done that. But the way that the story tells is it said he literally was begging, please, please come in. The son still had to make the choice, but he's begging him. That was unheard of in this time. Begging him to come in. Why? Because you're invited to the party as well. But James tells us this in James 4, 6. Perfect picture of this. It says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to who? The humble. This word resists here, uh, it's also um, translated opposes, is the word antitaso in the Greek, and it means to range in battle against or to oppose One's self. Now, what I want us to understand is God never resists us. You hear me? God never resists us. Even the older brother was invited to the party. Bad attitude, everything. The father begged him to come into the party, right? So we see that God is not resisting us, but here's the thing God resists the prideful attitude, the attitude that strives to prove ourselves as better than another. Why? Because this word resists in the Greek means to oppose oneself. When we're operating out of false self, out of a place from not knowing who we are, let me say like this, not understanding who we are. God resists that and says, nope, that's not who you are. Nope, that's not how you're supposed to be. I was talking to a guy last week and he says, you know what? And, And I love this saying, we're not human doings, we're human beings. Right. And so that's why a lot of times, you know, sometimes we say things and we might have to correct the way we say it. I'll say, well, no, God wants you to act like you. And I'm like, no, 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 not act. He wants you to be because an act is usually what we do. And that's called hypocrisy. We're being something we're not. When God is always saying, I want you to be who you be. Maybe not perfect grammar, but do you understand? He wants us to be who we be. I believe even in a situation, he was was trying to get his son to a place where he could see, listen, everything that you've ever needed is here because everything I have is always yours. So be who you be. Celebrate, come into the party. See, if the son would have saw it that way, he would have celebrated his brother, right? I love how uh, Francois... Dutoir, Tuit or however you say his French name, puts it in the mirror Bible here. He says, his gift of grace is in direct opposition to the vanity of the proud mindset of self-effort. Isn't that awesome? So it's saying, okay, listen, this grace is completely opposite from this proud mindset right now. Look at this. Whereby people strive to prove themselves as superior to others. This happens so much in church settings, and it shouldn't. Let me say this. This happens in worldly, secular settings as well, but the one place it shouldn't happen is the church. The one place it shouldn't happen is the kingdom of God, where we're trying to prove ourselves as superior to others. Normally what that means is we have some insecurity. We don't know or understand who we are. And so what we see in the story, again, there's a difference between seeing. Listen, the prodigal son knew what family he was from. That's how he knew where to return to. But he was returning thinking, I'm not even part of that family anymore. Right? I've lost that right. I've lost the inheritance. I've shamed my father. I mean, this this was shame. Imagine that son walking home. And according to the law, when he got home, his father should have stoned him to death. Not in a good way. Like with real stones. Right? Dropping boulders on people. I want to say maybe some people don't understand Old Testament stoning how that works. We know what new new stoning is. I get that. Everyone's doing it apparently. But what I'm saying is stoning with stones. That's what he was supposed to do. Now imagine in the back of his mind he had to know I'm going to either become a servant or I'm going to die. He must have had some trust in who his father was. And then think about this, the shame he brought in his father. And then the response, how did the citizens of that town react to him? Because he wasn't abiding by the law. Why? Because love trumps law. Come on, someone. And so we see in this situation where the son, he knew he was from that family, but then I think he begins to have an understanding of what it means. And guess who helped him see that? The father. He went back just to become a servant. If I can just become a servant, if I could just if I could just serve, at least I get three meals a day. And the father says, No. He brings out the best robe, the robe that was meant for dignitaries and for those who were honored guests. He gives them his signet ring of the family, which represented power and authority. Come on, you've all seen. Game of Thrones or something out there with signet rings. They always have the seal. That seal means this came from someone powerful, right? He gave him that ring. He put sandals on his feet. Why? He wanted to remind them, your status in the family has never changed. See, so many times we think, man, I've, you know, I, I know I prayed the prayer and I know I went to church for a while, but man, you just don't know how far away I went. How far away is too far away? in our mind anyway. This father who represents Heavenly Father told him, your status has never changed. You've always been a son. Here's the thing. You didn't understand what it meant to be a son. There's the difference. But we see where this change begins to happen, where the son goes from just squandering to actually humbling himself, showing this maturity, showing this growth, by owning the bad decisions, he knew that he's sinned against God and his father in this state of repentance. In other words, changing his mind. And look how good it was. The father blessed him. But then the older son, again, proud attitude. This is the attitude that God refuses. Why? Because you're living on a false self. Every time you live on a false self, a place from where who we truly are not, guess what? God's always going to check that. That's not who you are. That's not who you be. Be who I called you to be. So we really have two choices. Looking at this story here, this parable, we can allow God to bring us to a place of maturity through humility or to stay immature in our pride. And something about the story to me that just still blows my mind is Jesus leaves it open ended. We don't know what the older son chose. We don't know if he stayed angry, if he stayed in a a prideful servant mentality, or if he said, ah, I'm beginning to see it and begin to grow and maybe went into the party. Maybe it took a little bit, you know, but I love that Jesus leaves it open-ended. Why? Whenever Jesus does this, it's for us to think about, wow, where am I in this equation? Who am I in this story? And here's the crazy thing. Do you know who was who in this story? Do you know who the prodigal was? The weas. Jesus called the prodigal the mature son. I, that doesn't make sense. And the eldest son, he called the technon. The eldest son was the baby, immature. <laughs> See how Jesus just flips stuff around? See, true maturity doesn't come by doing anything, everything right all the time. It comes by being open. It comes by being humble and being teachable. And that's what this son was in the story. Squandered everything. Came back home, not knowing if he'd be received as a servant or received as to die. We He didn't know, but the father receives him. Why? He began to mature in those moments and realize, you know what? My son loved, or my father loves me. I'm going to return, if I can even be a servant. And his father does him one better, three better, a robe, a ring, and sandals, and says, you are part of the family. But even the technon was never told, get out of the family, you refuse to go to the party, you're done. It was left to be his choice. Will you say yes to maturity or no? Will you choose to live a life of pride based on everything that you've done to try to be superior to others? Or will you join the party? And be who you really are called to be. So that's the question for us. Will we be like the prodigal who came to his senses, who came to himself and humbly accepted the Father's love? Or will we just continue to live blind to who we really are? Not having that understanding as we continue in performance mode, trying to be better than others, trying to prove ourselves to God. I think the better choice is to say, you know what? I want to be the we us. Look at the person next to you and say, I want to be a we us wonder how many pastors have I ever asked people to say that, huh? Will you stand with me this morning? There, there's so many things that you can break down in these parables, but I just, I remember years ago when I first was reading that and studying it out in the original language, and I saw, wait, 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 why are there two different words for son? And then you start looking that up, it just totally starts changing the way you see things, doesn't it? Because most of us would say, well, the mature son was the one who worked really hard in the field. But no, Jesus called the the prodigal son, the mature one. Why? He began to see who he really was. He began to not just see, but to understand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for an opportunity we have together to look in the scripture and by your spirit to begin to extract things that can help us shift in the way that we think. Maybe there's some people here today who have felt like they've gone too far. Maybe there's some here today who feel like they've done everything they can for God and where is God and why hasn't he showed up and blessed them and given to them. We can be from two sides of the aisle, so to speak on this. But I love, Jesus, that in your parable, you're showing us the best way to live is to mature, is to accept who we are, to not just see, but accept and begin to understand. And it only comes from time spent with you, time spent with others, beginning to understand what it means to be a child of God. And so we thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. It's so amazing. And it brings us to this place in our life This is what I realized anyway, is that fear can motivate, but love changes a heart. And so as your love begins to change our heart, we begin to see who we really are and then we begin to understand who we really are and then we see it through our thoughts, through our words, and through our actions. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're always there, always reminding me of who I truly am. If there's any area in my life where I need help, where I need growth, where I need maturity, I'm open. Show me those areas and help me begin to understand who I truly am. Jesus name Jesus name thank you Holy Spirit that you're sealing this in our heart and that as we even go through this week that we would have opportunities we're in the midst of the opportunity you're reminding us of who we truly are that we are made in your image of likeness that we are a reflection of who you are let us become more of that reflection, and bring change to the world around us. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Isn't God awesome? Did you receive that this morning? For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.